Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank, a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. You've become, I think, one of our only guests who's come on the podcast twice now. So we're literally now, I think, looping back. We finally run out of our black book. We're starting again. But it's a pleasure to have you. And this time you're coming on with a different hat on. So people know you, obviously, as National Zagat Foundation. But this time you're coming on with a different hat on. I'd love to hear a bit more about you know, what this is and how this whole project around Transform My Prayer came along. And I'm quite excited about the potential for this as well, long term for the community. Cool. So firstly, assalamualaikum to you and to all of the listeners. Um, clearly, the fact that you've got me back on again means you're really desperately short of uh, your black books. Just not that big, is it? It's just a small one pager, obviously. Um, but uh, there you go. It's uh, nice of you to uh, to have me on. Interesting that you have um, chosen to yeah bring me on to speak about this as well. Maybe we'll hear from you as to why you've done that precisely, since uh, we've got nothing to do with investing or stocks or what was the latest one, Invest Fest or whatever it was. So uh, yeah. You can, I was very proud of that name. Yeah, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure I could tell that you were. I could tell that you were. As uh, some viewers, listeners may know, I'm still the CEO of the National Zakat Foundation. I've been doing, uh, been in that role, you know, for coming up to sort of nine years now. Throughout that time, even before to a certain degree, but especially more recently, I've been really, I suppose, concerned about this issue, which is to do with uh, salah. So, just as a big part of my life, uh, most of my life in the last few years has been occupied with the concern about how we as Muslims understand, give, um, distribute zakah funds and, and how that aligns with not only divine instruction, but also then you know, real outcomes for us as Muslims and for the future of Islam and Muslims in our communities. So that's been a big concern. You know, alongside that, if you look at the subject of zakah in the Quran, you realize that Allah himself uh, and zakah all the time. Yeah. So it's as if to say that, you know, anyone who has a real concern for zakah, uh, establishing it as it should be established, almost needs to have a concern for salah as well in some way. And so I started to think about what are the problems really that we face as a community when it comes to this particular subject. And the problems are many. First of all, I think that we sort of conceptualize salah as a sort of a ritual, somewhat maybe a bit of a random ritual, basically, for the vast majority of us in a language that many of us don't understand or don't really relate to. And we go through the motions of prayer, often in a quite a mindless way, and we do some things, some very odd things, actually, in our salah that we wouldn't do as rational or normal human beings in any other kind of situation. I mean, in the way that we fulfill this particular obligation. 
And it's as if we're praying to an abstract idea of God. Yeah. But yeah. not necessarily uh, having internalized that this is a real interaction that fully inv- consumes and involves us physically and in terms of what we're saying. And, and it should not only just involve our motions and our bodies and our tongues, but also our minds and our hearts. And so there's two fundamental problems. One is Muslims who struggle to pray their five obligatory prayers you know, on time, you know, on a daily basis. So that's one problem. And then the second problem, which affects both those people as well as those who do pray regularly on time, five times a day, is effectively just one of quality. Like what is the actual quality of that prayer? And is it really achieving what it's supposed to achieve? So simply put, that's really, really what it is. And I think that for me personally, it's been important for me personally, actually, now to have started to make inroads into this subject in a similar way as, as I've tried to do on the topic of zakah through National Zakah Foundation. Makes a lot of sense. And normally the salah comes before the zakat, right? Yeah. In, this, in this instance, you've gone backwards, but that's all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's just how it's turned out, I suppose. That's just how it's turned out. But yeah, there we go. Three, then two, then maybe one. And then lift off, is it, after that? <laughs> yeah. We'll get you on the shahada next. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, because when you talk about the shahada, we talk about even, okay, just the notion of God and how we understand God and how importantly actually how we articulate or how we convey the idea of God to people today you know there is work to be done on that there is work to be done on that a lot of good work happens on it no doubt but there is a lot more work to do you know and actually fundamentally it's because of issues in our understanding or our the depth of our kind of connection even with that first pillar if you want to put it that way that then we have result as a consequently we have issues as far as salah is concerned as guys concerned and lots of other things anyway we'll stick to number two for now uh, we've been talking around the subject i guess but for someone who doesn't re- because we both know roughly what you're up to sure. uh, but for someone who doesn't know what is this program what is it called where can they find out more about it how can they get involved in what you're up to sure so it's, look it's uh, called transform my prayer I started it last November, so it's actually coming up to a year, and it started in the form of a course that I designed, which was basically a 12-hour course, at that time taught over six weeks, two hours a week, you know, in the days when things could be done in person. So I live in, in Sutton, in sort of southwest London, and on the border with Surrey. Yeah, so I held three courses, my first sort of cohort. We had about 60, 70 students across the three classes in the local area. And alhamdulillah, I was like really successful really positively received. And basically all that we did was spend time trying to diagnose and understand why it is that we have the issues in relation to Salah that we have, then going step by step through the prayer and considering the significance of all of the different positions, movements, the words that we say, and then to think about how we could, on the basis of understanding them more deeply and understanding better what Salah represents, like how we could hopefully align our thoughts and our emotions better as well such that effectively, you know, you sort of unlock then the power of prayer, you see. So the way I think about it a lot is, you know, like this sort of, um, you know, combination locks, which you see in the movies when someone's opening this massive safe, right? Yeah. Where, um, which is the kind of thing that obviously, I'm sure the Islamic finance guru team gets excited about, yeah? <laughs> Lots of cash, right, behind a, <laughs> behind a locked door. So you need to turn it a certain way, and then it's a very subtle, right, click, and then and then back the other way. It's like that alignment needs to happen. What ends up happening oftentimes for us in our prayer is that I'm in a certain position, my emotional state doesn't really correspond with that with the humility that that position you know actually should necessitate yeah so obviously the prostration is the most obvious example 
Yeah, the prostration is a very humble position for the human being to in, but the heart may not be humbled in the same way whilst we're there. We're saying Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, but we're maybe not even sure precisely what that even means. But we're, we're saying it, we're repeating it. So obviously the mind, the heart, the tongue and the body are like in four different places, potentially. When those four things come together, you know, mm. then you really literally like that. So you sort of unlock something and it's as if then now the portal between you on earth and the heavens now will start to open up. But unless that ha- happens, yeah, unless you can achieve that alignment, then prayer can remain a very mechanical affair. And then for many people, because they fail to derive or they a- appreciate these things, then best case scenario, they pray consistently, but they do so oftentimes out of fear, meaning yeah. if I don't, I'll be punished. There's that actually underlying mentality. And then for a lot of people, they sort of you know slowly give up on the idea or they are not motivated to be consistent in their salah because they're not really understanding what it is properly and deriving what, uh, from it so anyway it's a course basically which i've taught now since then i've taught 10 times to around 500 people overall including in ramadan when it went online and since then obviously it's been all online but it's essentially a course of which i've taught for anywhere from eight hours to 12 hours i mean the full version is really 12 hours and yeah the idea is to take you step by step through that so recently i've done some taster sessions just last night was doing something on surah al-fatiha specifically so really trying to bring that people's attention to okay Let's look at these particular verses that we know all very well, yeah, like, and it's almost as if that's the problem. It's like we can literally be asleep and recite the verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, yeah. So let's really think about what it is that we're saying and how we say it in our prayer. And is the way that oftentimes we rush through just the um, expression of the words really fair or reflective of what these words mean and who we are saying them to. So it's that kind of idea. So these are some of the taster sessions. Transformmyprayer.com, there's sort of these introductory sort of free content there for people to look at. I'm starting to build it up with a blog posts and other things. But yeah, the full course is now I'm teaching two coming up now at the end of October and going until December. So that's going to be an hour and a half a week over eight weeks. Because online, it's a bit difficult to maintain the attention for that yeah. long. So that's the idea. So alhamdulillah, you know, the feedback on it has been really positive And lots of people, even months later, given feedback their salah is in a permanently different state, even though, of course, we all experience fluctuations. But the, I think what the course does is equip people with a certain framework and understanding that lifts the overall level. And then obviously the, the struggles are similar or they're ongoing, let's say, because it's a lifelong endeavor. But the really positive thing has been from what people have said is that they understand their salah differently, but they feel like they're getting more out of it as well. And the idea that we should be get, deriving benefit from our prayer, like in this world, is is a Quranic idea, right? Allah actually incentivizes us and tells us about Salah in the Quran in ways that tell us what we're going to get out of it now as well as what we will get from it later. Yeah, makes sense. This is now coming on to an interesting vein of conversation. And I think this was kind of why I wanted to get you on because okay. I think talking about prayer is such a fundamental part of being a Muslim, that sure. I think it kind of permeates everything from a, a human perspective, as opposed to, you know, the perspective of we need to do this Salah right in order to get to Jannah. But like from a purely like, you know, we will actually benefit from this perspective. Sure. I'd actually like to hear your personal experiences of how doing this course and thinking about Salah has mm. changed your Salah, but mm. also has it changed anything else in your life as a result of that? Mm. Yeah, sure. So, um, no, it's definitely, I think definitely when you teach anything and especially something like this, which is supposed to be very practical, the benefit of teaching this and even the students or participants feel is that literally within a few hours of having finished any session, 
they've got the next opportunity to, you know, practice, quote, yeah. quote, right, or literally to put into practice what, what has been learned, and they can start to feel the immediate kind of benefits of it. Now, I think definitely on a personal level, I would say, I feel it's definitely had a positive effect on my own prayer. Obviously, I'm cognizant and conscious of the fact that I need to be, you know, live up to or go be beyond the standard that I'm suggesting everybody else, uh, you know, kind of brings on. So it's, it's a personal challenge in that. But there's two things, I think, I suppose, come under the same umbrella, which is, just, frankly, and it sounds very simple, but it's just the idea of slowing down. Yeah, like the Salah just slows, it is slower, but the fact that it is slower is a, like, it just feels a lot more natural that it is slower. You know, it's interesting, somebody wrote to me the other day, just randomly about some person who'd taken the course a few months ago, and they had got in touch about some other matter. And then, as almost as a postscript or whatever, they just said, oh, you know, I'm still trying to keep up with my Salah and, and make sure it's, it's done well and everything else. And he said something like, you know, my kids, well, he used the language of quite extreme language, he said, my kids hate the fact that I'm, it's uh, so slow now. So this is really interesting. And is it not the case that oftentimes when we pray, and if we pray behind an imam, if the sajda or a particular position is held for even slightly longer than we expect, we start to feel agitated. You yeah. know, it's like, well, what's going on? Yeah, especially if Espe we are busy. Especially oh. when the imam, when in between the sajdas, he spends ages. Right, right, right. You, you know. Or like after ruku, when he stands up. You know, those are the, as I remember as a kid, when sure. we went to the Salafi masjid in particular, that's where they would, you know, be standing for a long period of time in those kind of blank spaces from a Hanafi madhab. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So like, what's going on here? These interim positions, yeah, sort of, yeah. So, so there's a certain frustration sometimes that we feel on agitation. And I think that a lot of that is because, if anything, it should be the opposite. It should be that if we are in that situation, you know, following an imam or whatever, actually we should be fully occupied such that every time the imam says Allahu Akbar, it's as if we're surprised. You know, we're, <laughs> that's bringing us back to attention of the general situation that we're in, because actually we should be fully immersed. And there's a lot more to do and say, let's say, each of these uh, positions than sometimes we're aware of. So I think for me personally, yeah, definitely slowing down. And I think definitely this idea of, you know, I really like the idea of, and uh, I think a lot of participants have benefited a lot from this idea of what I call the golden minutes, yeah, which is basically uh, t encouraging, taking some time, you know, up to 60 seconds or what have you, from the time that you come to the place of prayer and before you start and say Allahu Akbar, yeah. Now, 60 seconds doesn't sound like a long time, but again, for most people, if you say to them, initially it feels like forever. And this is another really interesting aspect of the subject, is that if you do it, our time perception in prayer, like is different to our time perception normally, and is indicative of, again, a, of an underlying sort of agitation or a, almost like a, a misalignment or a discomfort about the position we find ourselves in, you see. Because it's almost as if we can't wait for it to be over. Even a long prayer, which is only, may only be six, seven, eight minutes long, potentially right even 10 minutes the 10 minutes after that salah we will not be time will not feel the same like that 10 minutes will go we won't even know where it went whereas every moment in prayer it's like we really feel like the extra like, so if you tell somebody now just to add a minute beforehand and slow things down such that it might add another minute or minute and a half to each cycle of prayer such that it might add three four five minutes so overall let's say that feels initially like a big like almost a weight you know or a burden or like what's going on it doesn't feel very natural so I think this idea of coming before we begin, just as with anything else, to take the time to sort of uh, remind ourselves of what we're doing, to visualize. So it comes, you know, the famous quote that is mentioned here of one of the early Muslims who lived a couple of hundred years after the time of the Prophet wasallam, who would say that well, when the time comes for prayer, I, I perform a perfect wudu, I then come to the place of prayer and I sit down and I wait until my limbs are 
relaxed, I'm calm. Yeah. And then I stand and before the takbir, I imagine that the Kaaba is in front of me, that the Jannah paradise is to my right, hellfire is to my left, that the angel of death is above me and that the Sarat or the bridge that we will cross in the hereafter over hellfire is right in front of me, uh, thinner than a hair, sharper than a sword. So look at the visualization that's going on here. You know, visualization, interesting, right? Because nowadays there's a lot of this talk about visualization and all these kinds of things in the context of mindfulness and other things. Yeah. But it's as if sometimes we, I think it's like Muslims, as if we've lost our imagination when it comes to these things. Yeah. Salah is actually a place for your mind and your heart or your imagination to go to places that, that are relevant as far as your relationship with Allah is concerned. You know, mm. and all of these things that he's now bringing to bear, which may not have been fully at his consciousness before that, although in this case of this individual, probably maybe not so much the case. But for us, when we just spent our time for, I don't know, half an hour locked in a spreadsheet or an hour in some team meeting discussing, I don't know what, or, you know, hearing the latest investment proposition from Islamic finance guru, or whatever it is. After that, you know, in that moment, whilst we're hearing all that, we are probably less conscious about these broader realities of our worldview that, and as we see things. So if you go straight from that, straight into your prayer, you know, and I'm skipping obviously a conversation about the wudu itself, which is, a, again, a very important component of all of this. But if you just go straight from that and you tell them, because sometimes we are in a state, we're ready to pray in that sense. But maybe between the time that we perform the wudu and the time that we stand, there's some interruption or we have our wudu from the previous salah. Just getting up from the desk, standing, Allah Akbar, and getting on is not going to cut it because for the first minute, you're still decompressing from what just happened. So I think that's one thing. And I think another thing is this, is that slowing down in the prayer is really this. I say to everybody and everyone who's listening, like, think about it like this. If you were to say all of the things that you say in Salah in English, and if you were really to imagine clearly that you are now directing these statements directly to your Lord, yeah, to a real being in front of you, as opposed to some abstract idea or notion, then would you say the things that you're saying at the pace that you say them in Arabic? Yeah, you wouldn't, you couldn't, you just couldn't. So it's quite acceptable or normal to us to sort of say things inside this kind of pace. For example, Yeah, like that kind of pace, in, especially in a silent prayer. Yeah, when we are sort of whispering, if you like, it's very easy just to like through the statements. But if you really then get yourself into the mode of thinking that this is not just like a sheet that I'm supposed to kind of read off or just go from memory, but mm -hmm. no, I'm actually expressing praise to the Lord of all that exists, you know, exalting him, offering my compliments to him as the king, etc., etc. All of these different things and these statements that we say and the supplications that we make, then we just wouldn't do that. You couldn't because it's not it's not serious, basically. You know, like you wouldn't be taken seriously if we were to express ourselves in that way to any person. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think for me personally, that's really the main extra benefit that I've derived is to slow things even further down and to really, really try to get myself into that mode where I feel like everything I'm saying, I'm saying directly to Allah. And I am confident and conscious that he is giving me his attention in this time that I'm giving him attention. And therefore, I'm, frankly, I need to talk to God with respect. Yeah. Not like an idiot, <laughs> you know, frankly, you know, like to put it bluntly, because that's what we do. Right. We just sort of mumble ourselves, mumble. Yeah. And the problem with that is it really is an, an indicator of a weakness in the extent to which we truly actually believe that this, I am in front of God right now. Yeah. So I hear all of what you said, Iqbal, and I get it that, you know, we, we need to slow it down. We need to slow down the Salah a bit and focus on what we're saying. 
in terms of and obviously there's like an immediate benefit where which is you know you're much more engaged in your salah and it right. intuitively makes sense yes. but what about like the kind of wider benefits as well like have you felt that your level of sin for example has gone down your level sure. of iman has gone up your relationships with other people that sort of thing sure, really sure. interested to hear that yeah, so uh, I'm not sure I'm going to talk about my uh, levels of sin in in, uh, in the <laughs> public forum, <laughs> in the public forum of uh, Islamic finance guru. But um, I would say, I think generally, definitely, I think it's something that a better prayer makes you calmer, makes you more confident. There's three sets of verses that I like to link on this subject. Yeah, so there's a famous verse in which Allah is addressing Musa alayhi salam, Moses, and he says, "Innani an Allahu la ilaha illa ana fa'budni wa aqimi salati li dhikri." So God is addressing Moses and saying, I am God, there's no God but me, no unworthy worship except for me. So serve me, worship me and establish the prayer for my remembrance, for the purpose of remembering me. So dhikr, which we understand is a broad notion of remembrance, is what the salah is for. Yeah, So that we come back into a remembrance of God. Separately, we know the famous verse. Yeah, those who believe and their hearts find rest, find contentment in the remembrance of God, is it not with the remembrance of God that the hearts find rest? Yeah. So the idea of Tuma'nina, which is a tranquility, a serenity that comes upon the human being from as a result of connecting with the infinite source of all things and you know our origin and our end basically, is something which is an irreplaceable feeling. And the whole point is, is that if your salah is done consciously, and it's true dhikr of Allah, actually truly in remembrance of God, that settlement, that tranquility will come and that carries you through basically, you know, your next juncture, your next juncture, your next juncture. So the way in which you react to difficulties, challenges, calamities, the way in which you react to even positive, you know, worldly outcomes and stuff, you know, you basically see things in much more perspective. And then the third verse that links off from this is the verses that talk about the address of the, the believer receives at the time of passing from this world. That, oh, you contented soul. So now, as a consequence of constantly, constantly remembering God, the cornerstone of which is Salah, you, are, you increase in your state of tranquility and serenity. Your soul such is, becomes almost defined by this, such that it can be described by, by this, that you are so comfortable in your relationship with Allah a knowledge of who you are and who he is, and therefore what is due upon you as a result, then you become nafs mutma'inna, like the highest sort of, uh, uh, if you like, level that we can reach as a human being. And then, so, O contented soul, return now to your Lord, pleased with him and him being pleased with you. So enter now amongst my servants and enter my garden. Yeah. So this is a nice way for us to think about what the effect should be, at least, uh, leaving me out of the picture. I mean, I feel certainly I have felt more of that, you know, inshallah, that's been a, a consequence of, you know, sort of teaching, teaching this more and uh, thinking about it more and obviously putting into practice my own and trying to put into practice and improve my own prayer, obviously. But I think that's definitely a critical one. And there's another set of verse, you know, which talk about that the idea that prayer should, again, it has this centering effect that people have been created. Allah says people have been created in a state of, you know, sort of volatility, if you like. Yeah. That when harm affects them. Uh, or comes to them, then they become anxious. Yeah. Uh, when good comes to them, then they become people who are withholding. But fundamentally, it's the same thing. The idea is that you are in a state of anxiety and worry. Yeah. Such that when you know harm comes away, it's like oh my God, it's all over. 
And when you some good comes your way, you'll become overly preserving of it almost to, you know, to look after your sort of future because you don't basically a lot of what we do, frankly, is built on a fear of everything's going to go wrong. You know, that's, you know, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, including a lot of our financial uh, sort of decisions and stuff. Anyway, you'll uh, know better than me about all that. But the point being is that Allah is referring to an internal state. And this is the norm for people, by the way. Except for those who pray. Yeah, those who are constant in their prayers. And then Allah has a number of other descriptions of such people. And then again, wraps it up with prayer at the end of that. Those who preserve and guard their prayers. So the idea that this is a centering, recalibrating kind of thing. And lots of people who participate in the course or in discussions on this with me, they'll say, all oh, right, so this is like Muslim mindfulness, basically. That's what everyone, like, a lot of people come back with that. Because they're exposed to these discussions, generally speaking now, where there's kind of often this uh, like secular kind of mindfulness kind of you know, approaches and stuff, which are booming everywhere. And lots of Muslims are really exposed to that and even quite into these kinds of things, fine. But not realizing that actually, yeah, that, you know, that, got it that already. is what Salah is. Yeah, Salah is supposed to be that, like one of the root words of Salah is the idea of connection. That's exactly it. And the idea that you are establishing a strong signal and connection with the Almighty, which is your... Well, basically, that's where your mindfulness, your taqwa, literally, which is effectively, again, assuming the same word, right? That's where it's supposed to generate as a result. So, so yeah. I mean, these guys, the, the mindfulness guys, they're actually, it's a non-Muslim version of Salah. Not the, not, we're not a Muslim <laughs> version of mindfulness. Mm. That's, you know, all really, really fascinating. Well, and, you know, inshallah, I think a lot of people will benefit from this. I wanted to ask what, you, because this concept of the, that's really fascinating. I never really thought of it that way in the sense that, generally speaking, human beings are very cautious and like defensive. But it's only when you let your guard down in a controlled way, obviously. But if you let your guard down, that's when you actually are able to access more opportunities. And you can, in many ways, that's, I guess, crossover from investment as well, right? Where if people are ultra-defensive, ultra-cautious, and when they're doing well and when they were doing badly, that's actually a really bad mindset to be in. And at the same time, if they're, you know, uber aggressive, again, that leads to harm. So this kind of salah being like a kind of tempering force, I think is fascinating. Just on that, so very quickly, one nice way to think about this is that you know, if you imagine a circle, right, of and in a circle of emotions, let's say, and different kind of opposing sort of or opposite emotions on different ends of the, the edge of that circle. Wherever you are, you know, we're all kind of moving around in this circle, right? All sorts of go- is going on, okay? And, and I think that that center point, wherever we are, Salah brings us somewhere, you know, in the middle, so that we have a much better sense of balance, basically. And um, it's the great rebalancer, really. If you're really involved in the world and you're very happy with how all your worldly kind of things are going or whatever, then it kind of brings you a bit back down to earth. If it's the other way around, you have lots of challenges and calamities and difficulties, and also then it gives you hope, you know? So depending on where you are, it should just recalibrate and reset things. And definitely, I do think, as you've said, that we should be more f- fearless people as a result of our prayer, confident, brave. And yeah, because it's that constant. When we come back to that conversation with Allah, that's what it should fill us with, you know, hope and confidence and a sense of calm as well. So in a balanced way, as you said. I'm just conscious of the time as well. and uh, But I really wanted to ask you about the wider ramifications like you know if everyone sorted their salah out i don't know if you've ever thought down this line of thinking what are the kind of wider bigger effects multiplier effect i guess 
of everyone doing things right. Because obviously you guys talk about that a lot on the Zakat side of things, sure. which is clear from a monetary perspective. What about yeah. it from a Salah side of things? Yeah, no, it's really good. Look, I think um, in one way, the overall impact of Salah being done properly is very similar to Zakat being done properly. And they synergize and they come together. And it really is about this. It's like we've talked a lot about in the context of prayer about our internal states. And fundamentally for the phenomenon of Islam and of submission to the one God to flourish and to be strong and for that to live and continue going forward uh, to the extent that it is to do with our kind of efforts and our contributions, us individually doing our part to establish that a strong connection with Allah is critical, not only for how we manage our own individual lives, but then obviously how we kind of convey things to those immediately around us, our family members, a wider society, it gives us a certain, as we said, yeah, like a, a helpful a perspective and a confidence to, I think, carry ourselves with more um, dignity and, um, yeah, a confidence really in, in wider society as Muslims and as believers, yeah. So that's number one. I think, you know, Allah helps people who help themselves. And I think that part and parcel of us fixing, you know, our problems come when we, as Muslims, when we lack perspective, really, and we kind of misprioritize things, we focus on the wrong kinds of things. I think Salah helps uh, focusing on our Salah, improving it and getting it into shape and getting it in order. If it's done in the way that I would sort of have, be, you know, have been suggesting, then it makes this relationship between people and Allah true. And hopefully then Allah himself will become the point of reference for us more genuinely, more deeply in our wider kind of conversations and our wider considerations. Yeah. The problem is, is that what's happening at the moment is that we, you know, we kind of live our lives. We live our lives, our sort of day to day lives, almost in a not very God conscious way, perhaps potentially. Yeah. In a way that's aligned with our ultimate worldview, our accountability before God and everything else. And then there are these kind of certain tick box ritual type things. Oh, yes. Salah, zakah, fasting. Yeah. Hajj. Right that we kind of see in that ritual kind of column that are sort of on this other side, like parallel, a parallel sort of two things. Rather, no, these latter things form a foundation, as we we call them the pillars, yeah, they form a foundation upon which our, you know, everything else that we do is built. Two verses quickly come to mind. One I think is especially relevant for your listeners and for people who are your sort of Muslim professionals and business owners and investors and everything else. Consider the verse where Allah talks about the people whom neither trade nor business distracts them from remembering Allah, establishing prayer and giving zakah. So think about this. Allah is specifically praising here or highlighting the people who are involved in business and in trade and all of these things. But they've not allowed involvement in those things to take away their sense of perspective such that they become forgetful of God, delay their prayers, miss their prayers, lack quality in their prayers, are, are maybe lazy with regards to their zakah, etc. Yeah. Uh, why? Because as the verse continues, they fear a day on which uh, the hearts and the visions of people will be turned over, i.e., you know, everything will be upside down for people on that day, you know, the day of judgment. And Allah will reward such people according to the best of what they did. Uh, the next verse says the implication is that, yes, for people in general, especially busy people who are involved in this and that and the other, there will be the quality of your actions will be volatile and it will move. But as long as you weren't distracted and fundamentally stuck to these core things then Allah will reward you according to the, the like, almost like the peak of what you managed to do, you know, out of his generosity. And he says, you know, he provides for whoever he wills without account. There is that verse from which I think is very important, and especially in the coming, just really practically now, like for us, for whom the clock has changed, you know, where we have now three prayers to pray, you know, within four to five hours, right? Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib. 
in what is often a peak time for us in terms of meetings and you know whatever work that we're doing it's a real challenge for us but it's a real test are we going to emerge from this period as people who really stuck to that and we didn't you know leave it until the end of the day that Allah came last yeah that at Maghrib time or whatever or later on we just made up all our prayers at the end yeah you know or did we manage to do it on time on the way and finally to close the verse inna salati wa nusuki wa mahya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen that indeed my prayer and my sacrifice my living and my dying are all for god lord of all that exists so it's like the salah is really the cornerstone if you can get your salah right if we can do it if, you know to your question the implication is that if we can get the salah right that that should then inform you know it should inform the way in which we relate to god individually and collectively outside of our prayer and bring all of the benefits of this life and the next and the main benefit of this life to have really is one of perspective and guidance you know if we do our salah appropriately and properly it will keep us inshallah rooted keep us on the path but for, to do that we have to do it in a meaningful way you know and have to take it more seriously and think carefully about what it is that we're doing and not say words that we don't understand and not say words in a way that we don't mean and not move too fast and not disrespect god basically in the process you know or that's important that's what transform my prayers trying to help people with Jazakallah khair, uh, Iqbal, it's been an absolute pleasure and I think I've benefited a lot even from just you know talking to you for 40 minutes. I think it's your accrued benefit of salah. So you now, you know, the I think there's a hadith about how if you are kind of, you know, basically more pious or loved by Allah, then everyone else will end up loving you as well. So maybe that's maybe that's the benefit here. That's very uh, kind and generous of you. I'm not sure I fall into that category just yet. <laughs> But inshallah you will and other people can as well. Is it transformmyprayer.com and they can check that out inshallah. We're not exactly sure when this podcast will go out, but there's a whole bunch of regular things that you do as well which they can I guess find out by following you on they can subscribe to your website, I guess. Yeah, so on the website there's like you know you can sign up for some of the free material and stuff. The social media for uh, Transform My Prayer hasn't really launched yet to be honest. You'll be the first to know or amongst the first to know Brian so uh, inshallah we'll be inshallah. We'll inshallah. Well, jazakallah khair once again. It's a pleasure as always and uh, inshallah we're looking forward to having you in about a year's time when you move on to the shahada. <laughs> inshallah. Thank you. Jazakallah khair. Appreciate As-salamu it. Salaamu alaykum. Salaamu If you got this far you must have enjoyed the podcast which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well inshallah. Be sure to check out the website islamicfinanceguru.com as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.